do 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 sorry Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and uh, I'm really tired. Uh, I didn't sleep well, and it's been an exhausting week, so here I am. Going to be a bit of a punchy episode, perhaps. Uh, Joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Martha Sullivan, and this concept of sleep is just totally alien to me. So, (laughs) you know, what... Who sleeps anymore? Yeah. That seems like a fake concept. Yeah, it's great. We're all doing super good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally but... normal. <laughs> right. Uh, but this is our, uh, I think this is the, f- uh, this is the first episode of Did You Do Your Homework that's coming out in the year 2022. And we're going to use it to look back on the what we consumed media-wise in 2021. This is our top 10 list of media that was produced in 2021 and that we consumed uh, in 2021. Um, it's e- my favorite episode. <laughs> uh, I love e- a list. Each of us has a list of 10 things. Uh, because we are both very on brand, my list has music and Martha's list has video games. Um, you... You I'm are the spoiling. worst at spoiling the content of our own episodes. <laughs> I'm I'm getting people excited. I'm I'm teasing what's going to be coming. Um, also, people know what's on our list. Roughly, they they know that I'm the music person. They know that you're the video game person. Um, we're not going to do a stuck in our head because this entire episode is basically what we want to talk about that came out this past year. Uh, but at the end, stick around because we're going to have a um. Now, what did you call it? Not a runner-up category. An honorable mention. Honorable uh, mentions. Yeah. Honorable mention. The things that didn't make our top ten but came pretty dang close. Um, we haven't actually talked through how we want to do this, so I'm just going to go ahead and say, uh, Martha, why don't you start? And we'll just tag team back and forth. Sounds good. So I am leading off my list in the number ten spot with uh, not the most recent Pokemon game release, uh, but one of the other ones that came out in 2021, the new Pokemon Snap. Um, I very much enjoyed the original Pokemon Snap that came out in probably the late 90s, maybe, for the N64. Mm. Uh, and the new... So I was very excited about the new version, and it did not disappoint. Uh, the conceit is the same. So you're stuck on rails in your little photo car, and you move your switch around to take pictures, and you get scored arbitrary points based on... Uh, mysterious mechanics that only the game knows but uh the world feels much bigger the game introduces a factor where you level up in each uh arena of the game and as you progress like as you level up from one two three whatever Mm -hmm. uh the pokemon start behaving differently uh, you get to see new things so like the level changes as you earn more points and uh like do each level more um the more that you do each level the more you get to see and the more things kind of change um it also has more pieces than the original one did um and they introduced a dlc uh 
that had like three additional levels. So there's a lot of content. Um, it feels much bigger and it looks great. Um, each world really feels complete as to which Pokemon they included. The music is delightful and it is just such a peaceful, <laughs> low pressure <laughs> experience. Which, which was something we all needed in 2021. Uh, truly. So yes, it not only it not only exceeded my like it it exceeded my expectations for it, um, pretty entirely. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm just have been really really happy with the whole experience. Nice. Uh, my number ten is an album. Uh, starting off on brand, I guess we're both starting off on brand. Uh, my number ten is uh, the Hold Steady's newest album, Open Door Policy. Uh, now I'm going to be honest, this is probably not one of the best albums that came out this year, but I had to include it for a couple reasons on my list. Uh, the first is that I love The Hold Steady, a rock band from, uh, originally from Minneapolis, uh, now they're out in Brooklyn. Um, but the first couple albums, absolutely bangers with a lot of references to Twin Cities locations. Um, they have sort of grown and changed over the years, uh, but they're the, the driving force behind the band, Craig Finn, the singer songwriter behind it, um, has said recently in an interview uh, that he writes his characters roughly 10 ish years younger than he himself is. He's just turned 50. Uh, so his characters are, you know, 35, 40, which is pretty dang close to my own age, which might be why this album and all the albums uh, kind of hit me really hard. Um, previous Hold Steady albums have been about partying and hanging out, uh, you know, going down to the party pit, getting blackout drunk, drinking on top of water towers, hanging out with townies in the college towns. This album isn't. This album is about being the older guy who's teaching the young kids how to score drugs at the seedy motel, uh, grappling with that sort of sense of, like, maybe I shouldn't be part of the scene anymore. Um, and the reason why I'm including it is for literally just one line in one song, um, uh, from the song, uh, Unpleasant Breakfast is the line, I no longer see the romance in these ghosts, which is completely at odds with the entire previous raison d'etre of the Hold Steady, which was seeing the romance in the ghosts of the past. Um, so like, as this band has evolved and changed, it's fascinating to see them sort of looking back and taking off the rose-colored glasses of, of nostalgia that have suffused every other previous album of theirs and uh, sort of grappling with, with getting older and all the rest of it. Um, uh, that and the songs are, are still actually really good. Craig Finn is a great uh, poet, a great lyricist, uh, and the, musically, this is one of their stronger ones. So I am not a person who ruminates too much on the fact that I am getting older, but in this, the year of our Lord, 2022, well, 2021, when the album came out, not sure that uh, being reminded of my own mortality is something that I would have <laughs> sought out so, in a... Uh... Yeah, the album was recorded in December 2019, um, so it doesn't feel like a pandemic album. Um, and it wasn't so much for me ruminating on my own mortality, just that sense of, like, especially with the, the background of what kind of music this band made to then have this, this like, growing up pivot of, you know, no longer seeing the romance and the ghosts of the past, selling software made for offices instead of, you know, going down to the party pit. 
kind of situation. Sure. Um, so yeah, just just really, really sort of interesting change in vibes. Sure. We are going to stick a pin in the fact that you identify with the idea of selling drugs to younger people. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm, gonna... <laughs> I'm referencing specific songs of theirs, not myself. <laughs> I'm just giving you. Also, I wasn't selling drugs to younger people. It's telling younger people how to score the drugs. Totally different thing. <laughs> I work with children. So <laughs> younger people here means like 20 year olds. Oh, God. All right, my number nine is a TV show that took all of us by storm. And one of the things that made me check, that made me think that, oh, hey, Pete and I should probably make sure that our lists don't overlap <laughs> too much. Uh, it is Squid Game. A Squid Game I liked so much, I made us do a whole episode about. And it is uh, one of the things that I have continued to think about. Um. Yeah, it was engaging start to finish. It had great characters. I would watch more if they decided to write more. Uh, but also, if they didn't, it is a pretty complete story in and of itself. And I I would not be disappointed if this is where the ch creators chose to set the story down. Yeah. Um, and I think I always think that that's pretty impressive when creators can make a story that could go either way and be satisfying either way. Um, Cause I, I am quite certain that if they make more, I will watch it and I will enjoy it. Um, even if in the back of my mind, I am thinking, did we need to have this? We don't need to have anything. That's a, a fake idea. Um, but yeah, squid game. I loved. I also am really fingers crossed, hoping that it heralds in people not being afraid to use color yes. in their dystopia post-apocalyptic um horrifying murder stories like yes. please lean into that alice in wonderland aesthetic um make everything candy colored put more child doll robots in stuff <laughs> Uh, Emily Vanderwerf um, just had an article over at Vox.com about sort of like the, the headline was called like, where did color go? Um, and she was writing it in in terms of Station Eleven, a new HBO dystopian show that I haven't seen, which apparently also uses a lot of color um, in very bold ways. So hopefully, as you say, with these two together, we might be getting more color instead of less color. Quick sidebar about Station Eleven. Mm hmm. Um, because I read that book when it came out and loved it deeply, passionately. It is one of what I call my Swiss Army books mm. in that I can recommend it to literally anybody. Like Whoa. there is nobody I would not just turn around and hand this book to. Here I am putting it on my Goodreads. Um, so I did not know that they were making it into a limited series until very recently. I watched the first episode cried the entire time and decided that maybe in the middle of our own pandemic i was not emotionally equipped to watch a show about another pandemic so that is the the warning i will put at the top of station 11 uh the episode that i watched was beautiful um but also it's about a, a virus that kills like everybody mm -hmm. yeah it, it's a bit of a mr tips situation right I don't know uh, what that means. Uh, uh, the stand. Uh, that's the, the flu in the stand. Yes. Yes, it is. Cool. Uh, so just a, just a warning there. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good warning.
Uh, what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is also a TV show and also one that we had to swap around uh, because we both had it on our initial lists. Uh, mine is Only Murderers in the Building. Uh, which Murders. I murders. Yes, that is true. Yes. Um, only Murders uh, in the Building is stars Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez as all living in the same uh, apartment complex in New York City when a murder happens, and they decide to start a podcast about it. Uh, Martin Short is a washed-up um, Broadway director, Steve Martin is a washed-up actor, and Selena Gomez is there because her aunt uh, has one of the units in there, and so she's kind of hanging out there. Um, twists and turns commence. Uh... It's really fun. It gets podcasting to a T um, and is was just a nice, delightful bit of murder mystery humor uh, that came out in the fall when or I guess the end of summer when we all sort of needed that. And we're yeah, so uh, really enjoyable. It was a Hulu original show. Um, if you're listening to this, you've probably already watched it, but it definitely made both of our lists. What a delight yes. this show is. Yes. Um, it is such a perfectly balanced cast. Like, I could watch hours of Steve Martin. I think mm -hmm. Martin Short is best in small doses. This show knows exactly how to deploy him. Yes. I think Selena Gomez is the perfect straight man to these two ridiculously old people. Like, ridiculous old people. Um, it is also just got some of the best camp like de deployments of cameos i've ever seen yes uh um, to the a... point where I, I like don't even want to tell our like if there's anyone out there who's listening to this that hasn't seen it yet like i don't even want to tell you who's in it yeah because it is such a delight to see them <laughs> pop up on screen <laughs> um but yeah how what a fun what a fun show. One well, and, and like thinking about that and hearing you talk about it, I'm also realizing this isn't based on any pre-existing property other than the concept of podcasting and the concept of murder. Um which is which <laughs> is like concept <laughs> of murder. <laughs> which is like kind of delightful to see these days where it's not based on a book, it's not based on, you know, some 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 previous property. It was wholly original and it was wholly entertaining. Yes, delightful. I'm glad there's going to be more. I will watch it forever. Um, did you know that there are people on this planet Earth that actually complained about Selena Gomez's performance? That doesn't surprise me because Selena Gomez is a woman. And so people will complain about it. She's also a former Disney child, I yep. believe. She yep. is a former pop star. Uh, but to all of them, I, t I say, miss me with that. Uh -huh. She's perfect. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't like uh, like the complaint other than like, ugh, I don't like Selena Gomez because of, you know, baked in misogyny and stuff. Uh correct. Don't don't really know also, what other complaint you could have. Probably racism. But yeah. There's there's a, a nice swirling concoction. <laughs> yes. Uh anyway, Selena, if you're listening to this, you're great. I love you. I'm very excited to see more of this show. <laughs> What is <laughs> what is your number eight? Uh, so my number eight, we kind of touched on in our last episode. Um, and I almost cheated with this one and just put the works of Kieran Gillen because he had a couple of things come out this year that were all really great. Mm -hmm. um, but I did ultimately settle on picking the fourth volume of Die uh, titled Bleed, which was written by Gillen and illustrated by uh, Stephanie Hans. Um 
And I'm not going to spend too long on it because we did talk about it pretty extensively last week. Uh, But I just thought this was such a great conclusion to a story that was so fascinating and such a well-handled character portrait of all of the the main cast. Mm -hmm. Um, I I loved its interrogation of the role that role-playing games play for these people. I loved its interrogation of like how we all see ourselves as humans, um, how we relate to each other, like the burdens that we carry. I just thought he was doing a really, a lot of really interesting things. And I thought that the art was phenomenal. Yes. The art, every, like every frame of portrait, this was every panel, like a gorgeous painting. There is one of the earlier volumes ends with a character like ascending and sitting on a throne And just the whole image is like lives rent free in my brain. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's a beautiful story. It is finished now. So it's like four complete trade paperbacks. Um, And I, I really can't recommend it highly enough. Um, There was also a new volume of once in future that came out this year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, go check that one out. (laughs) Uh, once in feature almost made my, my top 10 list, but it didn't, uh, so spoilers for the rest of my list. Uh, so that's going to pop up in my honorable mentions. Uh, my number eight is the only fiction book I have on my list. It is a desolation called peace by Arcady Martin. Uh, a desolation called peace is the second novel in her. I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Uh, TX, uh, TX Kalan. Uh, series. Um, it's sci-fi, um, where we have an empire, uh, and the but the POV character is sort of a person from outside that empire who has to go in, like into the empire as a basically a diplomat and emissary. Um, that's what the first book is about. There's lots of cool stuff. Um, our main character, uh, Mahit, has a um like a, a thing embedded in her brain so that she theoretically has the memories of one of her ancestors helping her along through this by thing. I mean like computer thing. Um, but that computer chip gets disrupted in the beginning of the book. So now she has all these problems of being a diplomat to this empire, being an outsider, being a quote unquote barbarian and not having the support that she thought she was going to have. while there's all this, you know, uprisings happening in the empire. Uh, that's all the first book. Really great. One of my favorite books of last year. This book now, uh, same characters, but now we're dealing with a first contact situation with uh, an alien species, being, creature, something that is that they're unable to communicate with. Both books are deeply about communication and um, uh, sort of like how you can build or not build relationships with different levels of communication. Uh, Arcady Martin is, uh, before she became a novelist, was a city planner and historian specializing in Byzantine and Georgian history, and she brings a lot of that into uh, this sci-fi world. There's a lot of Byzantine-ness to the uh, Tiexalani Empire, and I just love it, because, uh, you know, this it pushes all my buttons of sci-fi, with history, you know, like tapping into historical things and uh, language and first contact and all the rest of it. Um, after I finished this book, I went and rewatched Arrival because they are vibing on very much the same wavelength. Um, so, yeah, that is a desolation called Peace. So, there is a book 
that I read most of for my sci-fi fantasy book club recently that the way that you described that book reminds me very, very strongly of, and now I cannot for the life of me remember the name of this book. Oh, no. Um, but it is about a person who basically becomes sort of adjacent to an ambassador to the alien species that humans exist alongside now because the way that the aliens understand language she becomes a this, living metaphor this is um uh it's a uh, uh china mieville book um embassy town yes embassy yes. town yes i love so, embassy town <laughs> okay yeah as you were talking i was like i feel like i've read that book but i haven't <laughs> yeah embassy town is great um, but no, that sounds rad. I you recommended the first of those books to me for my sci-fi book club, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm thinking about incorporating that into our schedule this year. Yes, the the first book in the series is called A Memory Called Empire, uh, which is just a great title right off the bat. Uh, and mm-hmm. A Desolation Called Peace is a reference to I believe it's a Tacitus quote of uh, the Romans made a desert and called it peace. Um, All right. So there we go. Yep, I was right about Tacitus. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, that Tacitus, all killer, no filler, uh, to quote everyone's favorite nephew, Greg. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, what is your my, number seven? My number seven is Mass Effect Legendary Edition. <laughs> I love these games so much. <laughs> no, okay. So in all seriousness, I love the Mass Effect games very, very deeply. And I thought that the Legendary uh, Edition did a really i mean as far as i can tell there are not huge changes made to the games like it is pretty much just a a one-to-one um did they not update the gameplay of the first mass effect i feel like that was something that keeps getting talked about each time these remakes come out i mean they did only in so far as we are playing it on updated hardware okay um but the mechanics are pretty similar. Um, but at the end of the day, it was just such a joy to be able to visit these games again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come with all of the DLC. So, like, it's all right there. Um, and, yeah, it, it gave me an excuse to to replay, like, 90 hours of the best <laughs> sci-fi the best sci-fi video game ever made. So <laughs> to, to take over the TV for a month and a half. Yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, my number seven is Matrix Resurrections. And if you want to know more about what we think about that, go listen to our previous episode, which was all about the Matrix. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to belabor the point here. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, Matrix Resur- Resurrections was good. Um, I'm looking forward to watch it again. Um, I, I learned via uh, letterbox that my brother actually watched it uh, two days in a row and gave it a higher rating on the second watch than the first watch. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to my own second watch here. Uh, All right. And, and there we go. Uh, what's your number six? My number six is another comic. Uh, this one is Bubble by Jordan Morris and Sarah Morgan. Uh, Bubble's an adaptation of a podcast, a narrative fiction podcast of the same name. Uh, and it is about it is a futuristic sci-fi uh, story that is about a Portland-type city um, 
that lives that exists in a world where outside of the city the world is pretty poisonous it's full of monsters so Mm. the city lives under the titular bubble and inside the bubble everyone is hipsters and everyone (laughs) is on their grind including morgan who is our main character uh, who works for an app called hunter h-u-n-t-r of course where when monsters breach the bubble and get in people can call for a monster hunter through the app and they can come and take care of your monster problem for you (laughs) uh it is delightful um i first i highly recommend listening to the podcast because it is full of voices that you will recognize from the podcast and the comedy world Um, And then the graphic novel itself is a fabulous adaptation. Like they really condense the story in a very uh, streamlined way. The art is great. Um, It's yeah. I, it's like maybe three or four hours of podcasting because each episode is like under a half hour long. Um, But the way that they translate it to a visual format is really, really interesting. Cool. Um, I, I hope that they make more both of the podcast and of the graphic novel. Like I would love a season two. I would love a volume two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a story that begs for more exploration. You, you recommended this podcast to me a few episodes ago and it's been just hanging out in my podcast feed. Um, I haven't gotten around to listening to it yet, knowing that they're shorter episodes and that there's only a couple hours of content and that this isn't like a 800 hour, uh, you know, commitment, um, has me way more interested. And once it gets nice enough to go hiking, this might be a put it on my phone and, and go hiking and listening to a kind of situation. Yeah. This one in Tannis. Uh, yeah. Tannis is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was hiking while listening to rabbits for that episode and that was uh, yes. wild and very enjoyable. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. Do you want to do your number six and then we can take a quick recess? That sounds great. Uh, My number six is another album. It is an overview. er, It is called An Overview of Phenomenal Nature by Cassandra Jenkins. Uh, Cassandra Jenkins is an ambient pop slash folk pop musician from Brooklyn. I had never heard of her until this album. Uh, This is her second album. Um, It's really incredible. She has an amazing voice. You kind of get swept away in the soundscapes of it, but it's, I'm a sucker for, um, sad music. And some of the songs on this are definitely like minor key sad songs, but the, uh, uh, one of the first singles hard drive, uh, is just a really sort of evocative, ethereal snapshots of life kind of song. And it like, it really hit me hard when I listened to it the first time. Um, and then I sort of put the album down for a couple months and I picked it up again recently and it has been huge on my repeat listening list, uh, or, you know, my, my Spotify for the past like three months now. Um, you might dig it, Martha. It's very lyrics mm-hmm. forward. And I know that you're a very lyrics forward person, um, yes. in your music. Uh, and she has a really nice voice. So, um, between those two things, it might be uh, enough in your wheelhouse to, to give it a try. Um, plus, the whole thing is 30 minutes long, so... Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, which might be, why, might be why I've uh, listened to it as many times as I have, because it's like, oh, I can <laughs> listen to it twice in the length of another album. All right, uh, so we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to get into our top fives. 
All right, and we are back. Uh, so we're jumping right back into our list of top tens, and now we're down to just the top fives. Uh, so Martha, what is your number five? My number five is a book called The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey. Uh, this is a book that I read pretty, um, I want to say pretty close to the beginning of the year. Uh, Sarah Gailey is an author that I quite enjoy. They wrote um, a book called Magic for Liars and mm. a YA book called We Are Magic. And The Echo Wife is very much sci-fi rather than fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about a woman who is a form, one of the foremost genetic scientists in the world uh, and is working on cloning. And she finds out that her husband has grown a clone of her that is identical in every way. No red flags. Except that the clone is much more... Let's say meek and mild. Ah, submissive, than, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> uh, and um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, except, like that is that is the synopsis that comes on the f- the interior flap of the book. Sure. Um, but it is a incredibly taut, tense thriller. It's like it's maybe around excuse me around 300 pages Mm -hmm. it is in and out like i read this book in like six hours Mm. uh it is (laughs) you you kind of can't stop sure it is one of those that once you once you get going you don't want to put it down make sure you have the the time parceled out for it before you start reading it yeah because you're not gonna want to stop yeah yeah totally (laughs) Cool. Uh, my number five is also a book. Uh, it is a nonfiction book, however. Hero of Two Worlds by Mike Duncan, a biography of the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, Mike Duncan is a history podcaster. I think I've talked about him on the show. He got to start with the history of Rome, and now he is currently wrapping up the Russian Revolution, which will be the last thing he covers in his long-running Revolutions podcast. Um, this is his second book. His first was about the... Uh, the beginning of the end of the Roman Republic, uh, and this is about the Marquis de Lafayette, who uh, featured in many of the revolutions that uh, Duncan talked about over the course of his Revolutions podcast, uh, including, but not limited to, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, uh, the uh, Revolution of 1830, uh, and more. Um, Really fascinating person, Lafayette. Uh, He's beloved in America and not beloved so much in Uh, France, uh, and very much the kind of person who his politics and his beliefs never changed, but the world changed around him so much that he went from being like a radical to a moderate to uh, an enemy of the people, back to being a moderate, back to being a radical, um, uh, you know, without ever changing his own beliefs of basically um, classical liberalism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, kind of wild to look at that sweep of history through the lens of, of just, uh, Lafayette. Um, Duncan reads the audiobook because, of course, when a podcaster writes a book, they need to read their own audiobook. Otherwise, what are we even doing here? <laughs> um, and I, I love the way he writes. I love the way, uh, he talks. Like, he has ruined other history podcasts for me because their narrators are never up to the same caliber that he is. So I'd highly recommend the audiobook, but I'd also recommend the physical book, too. 
one of my one of my sideways adjacent New Year's resolutions is to read more nonfiction. I am constantly trying to uh, trying to do that, and these last couple of years, it's just been all I can do to like read at all. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I am always I am always looking for good nonfiction. Uh, this sounds delightful. I'd, um, I'd highly recommend it, and it means you got to have running through your head constantly while listening to or reading it. Uh, Lafayette from Hamilton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how about your does number that put four? Me at number four. Yeah. So, my number four is another TV show that came out this year on HBO, Hacks, mm. starring. <laughs> Yep, I uh I'm I'm right there with you. I see her face and I can't conjure the name. You are gonna cut this out because <laughs> This is gonna be the cold open. <laughs> I hate you. Uh Jean Smart. Jean Smart. <laughs> and Hannah Einbinder. Um Hax is the story of Jean Smart, who is a lady comic uh with a long standing um Vegas residency. And when her uh Set starts getting a little cold, and the guy who owns the casino that she performs at starts trying to kind of push her out. Uh, her agent, who is also the agent for Ava, played by Hannah Einbinder, uh, sends Ava to her to freshen up her act and write her some new jokes. This show is savagely funny. Um, most of the characters in it are women, which I love. Mm. Um, it has Caitlin... Caitlin Olson from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia plays Jean Smart's daughter. Oh. Um, it has some men in it, but the only one who really matters is Carl Clemens Hopkins, who plays Marcus, uh, Jean Smart's character's like personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is just it is my favorite depiction, I think, of stand-up comedy that I've seen in tv and media like the comedy in it is actual like stand-up it's not just let me tell you about this thing that happened like it has structured jokes and it's about like the act of writing and what goes into writing like a good set um and also just gene smart is phenomenal this this year um, was the the year of the the gene smartessence between this and mayor of east town and i feel like there was something else she was in too I was going to say, you you mentioned kind of off air about Mare of Easttown and how we were all very, very into it. Uh, and then it sort of fell off everybody's radar. And I think part of that is because the performances in Mare of Easttown are front to back phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But what is actually going on in Mare of Easttown is not all that original. I- like it is, it is a story that we have seen before. Um, that is told very well. I think it is also partially a story that they should have saved for the second season. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a showcase for uh, Kate Winslet and Jean Smart's performances. Yeah. Um, and pound for pound, I think that because Hacks gives Jean Smart more screen time, that's the one that I'm going <laughs> to go with if I'm picking <laughs> A yeah. showcase for Gene Smart from this year. Totally. Uh, Watchmen was the other thing I was thinking of. But that, of course, came out in 2019. Oh. That, well, yes. But that's just part of the, the, the Gene Smart-assance. Uh, you know. <laughs> if, 
if that had come out this year and neither of us had it on our list. Oh, we would have been like gone to jail. (laughs) I was going to say, we would not have been able to continue this podcast. (laughs) Right, because we would have been arrested. It would have been wild audio of the police breaking down our doors. (laughs) Jail. Jail for podcasters for 1,000 years. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Coming back in. Um... My number four is another album. Uh, it is Big Red Machines. How long do you think it's going to last? And I didn't think of this until literally right now when I was typing in that title and Google autofilled how long will COVID last? And I was like, oh, that's like, that oh, could be a pandemic God. reference. Uh, <laughs> but it's not supposed to be, I don't think. Um, big Red Machine is a big collaborative troupe that's mostly spearheaded by Aaron Desner of The National and Justin Vernon of Bon Iver. Um, this is the second Big Red Machine album out, and it's got a host of guest vocalists and performers, including Anais Mitchell, Taylor Swift, Fleet Foxes, Sharon Von Etten, uh, Lisa Hannigan, the list goes on. Um, it's a little bit long and a little bit shaggy, but I think that's what works for this uh, album. Um, it's just a nice, big, comforting thing to wrap yourself in, and every now and then you got Anais Mitchell popping in, uh, or Taylor Swift popping in. Um... Uh, which is, which is great. Uh, if you want to know what it sounds like, it kind of sounds like, uh, Taylor Swift's two, um, albums that came out last year, co-produced with Aaron, uh, Desner, um, because it's all kind of the same people working together on the same sounds. Uh, this one is a little bit bigger and more, uh, expansive, I guess a little more, uh, a little shaggier as well, but, uh, that kind of vibe, um, and it's the vibe I I absolutely gravitate to and dig on, uh, and it's it's made for very very pleasant listening. Uh, this is also one of my my top Spotify uh, albums, one that I just keep returning to again and again this year. That sounds that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love I love hearing that Anais Mitchell is still doing stuff. Yes, uh, <laughs> and and anytime like first off, if you haven't gotten into Bonnie Light Horseman. Uh, you should. Uh, it's Anais Mitchell doing like folk songs, um, like old old school folk. Um, but yeah, her her voice is just so unique and fascinating. So anytime she pops in, and then like, what other album do you get like her? And then three songs later, Taylor Swift, and then two songs later, like Fleet Foxes. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, that sounds rad. All right, uh, you're my- number three. My number three is The Book of Accidents by Chuck Wendig. Uh, this is another one that I read pretty early in the year. It is the kind of epic horror that I wish more people would write. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is like 900 pages long. <laughs> but it is so readable. It is about a family that moves back into the father's childhood home after his father dies and leaves them their house. So it's about him like dealing with his abusive childhood and his wife maybe is an artist and is maybe having visions, but also is a recovering addict. So like Mm. how real are they? Uh, And then their son is this very emotionally fragile, like 14 year old who makes friends with this kid who something weird is going on. I don't want to say too much about that. Um, But also, it's like, there are ghosts, and 
planar traveling serial killers and like cool generational trauma and it is a kitchen sink book where everything works okay. like it does not it doesn't just feel like wendig is throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks it's like he is throwing everything at the wall and then making beautiful food painting pictures <laughs> with everything. Um, he also is um, one of the things that I really love about him as an author is that his books tend to end on an optimistic note, which I always mm. need. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so this book will put you through the ringer, but the end is so satisfying and just, ultimately like optimistic looking towards the future of this family um i really really loved it (laughs) and i think everybody should read it yeah i will have to carve out time for that um i'm realizing i have another big doorstop book uh that's on my list as well uh so i will i guess this winter i'll be reading a lot (laughs) which which (laughs) isn't a bad thing i was gonna say it doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't sound too terrible to me yeah yeah Uh, Well, my number three is Wes Anderson's movie for this year, The French Dispatch. Uh, I got to see that in theaters before uh, we got worried about going back to theaters and stuff. Um, And it was just so much fun. Uh, It is primarily three short stories loosely tied together by an overarching theme with sort of a a prologue and a coda at the end. Um, And it's exactly what you'd expect out of Wes Anderson. Uh, It is meticulously crafted. Um, an homage to a lot uh, to to French films. The uh the middle, I think it's the middle uh segment uh is Timothy Chalamet as like a a young student radical in Paris, uh which very much is sort of like a Godard style uh pastiche. Um, the first uh, vignette is a send up of the art world. Uh, Tilda Swinton narrating that one. Uh, the third pe- uh vignette is uh sort of a send up of the food world um with jeffrey wright narrating that one um i will say that i thoroughly enjoyed it and it was very much for me but it is such an obvious homage to the new yorker and everything that the new yorker represents and i'm not a big new yorker reader so as much as i was enjoying it i knew that there were people out there that this movie was like micro targeted to um Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, you you have the entire back catalog of The New Yorker uh, and you've read all the articles. Well, you are just losing your mind in this movie. Uh, whereas me, a like, you know, lefty intellectual film nerd was very entertained and enjoying it, but not like losing my mind. I am undecided on whether or not I want to watch this movie. <laughs> Um, what what is your Wes Anderson feelings writ large? I enjoy him when his stuff is more grounded. The more whimsical he gets, the less I tend to enjoy him. Okay. I did not care for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Hmm. Okay. My favorite Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> well, okay. So... Really what it comes down to is that my favorite Wes Anderson movie is the Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I think all of his movies should be animated. (laughs) Fantastic Mr. Fox is amazing. But apart from that, my favorite one is the Darjeeling Limited, and I understand Mm. that that is a very controversial opinion. That is usually his bottom uh, movie in in many lists. Yeah, for me, it goes Darjeeling Limited, then the Royal Tenenbaums, which I do think is an unimpeachable perfect movie. Like, 
whatever you feel about his other work, like like Tenenbaum slaps. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, I straight up hated Moonrise Kingdom. Hmm. Everything about that movie made me want to be watching something else. So I'm I'm I don't know if I will have I don't know if I will enjoy the French Dispatch. Like I want to. I enjoy screen grabs of his aesthetic, but like as a whole movie, I think it doesn't gel for me. Do you have any positive or negative opinions on like nested stories where we some like, you know, where where we're three layers deep and then sometimes we'll pull back to two layers deep and then back to three layers deep, like that kind of structure uh in a movie? I I it is neither a plus or a negative for me. Like okay. I Okay. I neither I'm not like passionate about them. Yeah. Like it it is a it is a story device right. which is but, but, fine. But it, it's not something that inherently <laughs> turns you off. No. Um I I tend to think that anthologies are sort of inconsistent by nature. Like I'm always kind of expecting parts of anthology stories to be stronger or weaker than others. Yeah. Um but no, I don't I don't have like specific feelings about that. And I, I would say this is definitely a case where I loved the first um, episode part, whatever. Uh, and the second mm-hmm. one was fine. And then the third one was also fine. Uh, but I think Marin, I think, loved the third one the most. Um, so people came away with different takes on like what their favorite was. But it's definitely as an anthology. Some of them hit better than others. Mm hmm. Um, give it a try, but maybe, you know, when it's, if you can watch it for free and then if you don't like it, stop, <laughs> you know, sure. like, get, get the DVD <laughs> from the library and then like, all you've wasted is some time. <laughs> sure. Uh, but my number two is a movie that <laughs> is absolutely non-confrontational at all. No, everyone loved it. Um, <laughs> easily the best movie i saw this year was the green knight um i when i i was grinning like an idiot after the end of this movie yes um and i was genuinely shocked when i left the theater and my husband was like i i hated that (laughs) i was like hold up um but just Apart from the fact that I think it is visually stunning, I think Dev Patel is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the imagination with which the filmmaker approached this story. I just loved the ballsiness of that ending. Like, I, ne- it never occurred to me to read it um, literally. Right. Well, um, and, and partly because we both know the poem. Like, many people do know the poem, obviously, but um, based on my viewing, random folks who went to go see it didn't know the poem at all and were very confused by the ending. <laughs> but even if you don't know the source material, like, I think either way that you read that, I don't know. I loved the ending. I loved that it was a big swing. I loved... um. I loved the inventiveness of the visuals. Um, I have not stopped thinking about it since we went to see it. It was also the last movie I saw in theaters before we decided that theaters were not safe anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe that 
is affecting the way that I felt about it. Um, but truly, I just, this one was five stars swinging on, uh, hitting on all cylinders for me. And if you want to know more about how we uh, thought about this and and uh, re revisit our Arthur Triptych series, uh, we talked about this more in depth in episode 110, Arthur as Legend. Hmm, that's true. Uh, all right, my number two is the last of my albums. Uh, this is Church's newest album. Uh, that's Church's, of course, with a V, uh, Screen Violence. Uh, Church's is a Scottish uh, synth-pop band. They're great. Uh, I've loved them since their first album, uh, which dropped in, like, 2008 or some nonsense like that. Uh, and this one is really good. Um, it's more of the same, so if you like Church's, you'll probably like this. If you don't like Church's, you should listen to Church's, because they're really good and fun. Um, the particularly fun thing about this album, though, uh, it's called Screen Violence, and it has, uh, it has song names such as Violent Delights and Final Girl, uh, it's really sort of vibing on that, like, horror movie aesthetic. And John Carpenter did remixes of two of the songs. Uh, because John Carpenter, these days, is just making synth music. Um, so he, <laughs> he he did a remix of one of their earlier songs from an earlier album, and a remix of the song Good Girls off this album, both of which are great because, like, what if John Carpenter did a synth version of your synth-pop song? It's amazing. Uh, but the thing, Martha, that you particularly will enjoy is that Jamie McKelvey did the artwork for these singles. Um, so you've got Churches, you've got John Carpenter, you've got Jamie McKelvey all coming together in one giant, like, pile of amazingness. Um, I love Churches. Yeah. I haven't, re- I haven't listened to their new one, but yeah, I'm a big fan. L- listen to the new one and then listen to Carpenter's uh, remix of it. All right, what is your number one? All right, my favorite and incontrovertible best piece of media that I enjoyed this year that was also produced in 2021 Hmm. was the limited Netflix series created by Mike Flanagan, starring Kate Siegel, Zach Guilford, Kristen Lehman, uh, and Rahul Kohli, Midnight Mass. Uh, This show slaps Mike Flanagan gets unbelievably better the more he is allowed to create. (laughs) And I truly cannot wait for um, his House of Usher inspired miniseries. I didn't know that was next on the docket. Uh Uh-huh. Like it's in production. Ooh. Um, Yeah. It's gonna rip. Um... (laughs) No, it's, this is my favorite kind of monster story that is an allegory, but also has no time for um, subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) It is about a tiny, isolated island community that experiences a resurgence of faith once a, their, their home pastor has fallen ill following a pilgrimage that he took, and their new pastor is young and charismatic and played by um oh god what is the actor's name hamish linklater hamish linklater yes uh played by hamish linklater um and miracles start happening in this community and so the whole the community as a whole starts experiencing this resurgence of faith um 
you also have um Zach Guilford who plays Riley who is the returned not quite prodigal son because he left and then was involved in a drunk driving accident where he killed a girl uh, and now is home and getting sober. Uh, Kate Siegel is his high school sweetheart who is home after a divorce and she is pregnant. Um, you have Bev, the nun who works at the church, who is a true incredible nightmare of a human being. <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, this show firing on all cylinders, all of these people. Mike Flanagan's kind of whole deal works for me. Like the ridiculously long overwrought monologues are so well composed and well placed that I'm like, that monologue lasted for seven minutes and I could have listened to 12 more. Um, uh, Rahul, Rahul Kohli plays the sheriff who is the only Muslim on this island of 100 white people uh, so he and his son have to grapple with like feeling othered not only as the only people of color on the island but also the only Muslim people on the island well, uh, Annabeth like, Gish plays the doctor like this it's insane they're not only the only Muslim people they're also the only non-Catholics and like the church is such the center of of everything uh mm -hmm. like not just religion but like of of social and and you know political and uh, you know everything so that like that tension like hits on so many different directions for the sheriff mm -hmm. uh, also he's great rahul uh uh coley was in um the uh, haunting, haunting, of haunting of bly manor and he was great in that too yes correct he will be in the haunting of the house oh, of usher or excellent. whatever Whatever Flanagan chooses to call it. I mean, he and Kate Siegel are buddies now, and Kate Siegel is married to Mike Flanagan. So, oh, okay. Um, Flanagan uh, is definitely a director who likes to adopt actors. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, if Carla Gugino is going to be in House of Usher. Probably. Uh, right, because she's now part of the, the roster, the stable. She, she was not in Midnight Mass. I'm um, seeing that she had a recurring role in Midnight Mass as Judge. What? I don't know. That's what Wiki's telling me. Well, she is not on the IMDb credits, and I, <laughs> I... She... Okay, so she may have been in the first episode when Riley has to go in front of the judge to get sure. his sentencing. Sure. She... I should say, she's not listed as judge name. She's listed as simply judge. <laughs> which, which, yeah. which speaks to me more of cameo appearance than, like, <laughs> recurring character. But yeah, I, I'm a big horror fan. I have loved, I've enjoyed, loved is a strong word. I have enjoyed everything that Flanagan has made that I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, and I truly think that everything he makes gets better than the last thing that he did. Mm -hmm. What is your number one, Pete? Uh, my number one is uh, a little movie that came out in some art houses across the nation. Uh, it's Dune. It's Dune. One of the biggest movies of the year. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man, no way far from home or whatever. Uh, definitely beat it at the box office because Spider-Man beat everything at the box office. Uh, but Dune was pretty close to, uh, you know, it, Dune is up there in terms of highest grossing, uh, films of 2021. Um, we've talked a lot about Dune, uh, on our previous episodes, but I enjoyed it 
not only for everything that it was, not only for the fact that I, like, saw it in a theater, and not just in a theater, but in an IMAX theater, um, which is, like, the first time I've been in an IMAX in two decades, or two, two decades, yeah. Um, but I, I, I particularly loved it because it actually stuck the landing. It could have been a debacle. It could have been a disaster. <laughs> um, you know, you have you have a bold visionary filmmaker. You have a stacked cast. You have all the money being thrown at it. Uh, and it worked, which it didn't necessarily, like, which we didn't know for certain that it would. Um, so I'm, I'm really stoked that it did work. I'm really stoked that there's going to be a second Dune. Uh, and I will be excited to see that one in the theaters as well. Hopefully not in my still suit. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see. What will be will be. Any thoughts it's on Dune? Solid, <laughs> it's a solid B plus for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked it. I'm glad there will be more. I honestly did not consider it for my top ten list. Sure, sure. Um I'm glad that it hit so hard for so many people. I I don't know. I, I wish I liked it more. Mm-hmm. I didn't not like it. Mm-hmm. I actually, I was, I was going to watch it again, but I didn't get my act together before HBO took it off of uh, streaming. Hard, um, hard same. <laughs> that is exa- <laughs> exactly what happened to me. Uh, and I do wonder if now that I kind of know what to expect, like now that I'm not going to be waiting to see how they do it, if I would enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I liked it. I do not feel the same way that my parents did. Did they like love it? My father thought it was boring. Oh no. I did not feel that way. <laughs> uh, you, you watched it at home, right? Uh, cause Green Knight was the last movie you saw in theaters. Yeah. I did. Um, obvi- obviously there's a big old pandemic. If you don't want to go see things in theaters, totally good. Um, it it benefited by I, I I think I it benefited by me seeing it. That's a bad sentence, but I'm rolling with it. Uh like on the biggest screen possible with the loudest speakers possible, just because it, you could it's a movie designed to overwhelm you, and you could be overwhelmed in a situation like that, where it's just harder to to have it hit you in that like my bones are rattling way. <laughs> um, <laughs> like when you're watching it at home. So, uh, something to be said for, for like watching monumental filmmaking like this on the biggest screen possible, uh, but also something to be said for, um, not wanting to go to a theater during a pandemic. So, uh, well, and here's, here's the thing. The more Dennis Villeneuve talked about how insulting it would be to watch this movie at home, the more I was like, Dennis, I'm going to watch this movie on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> talking <laughs> you had the same reaction with with tenant as well uh and it did, I did. did hit me in the same way so yep uh different i just different reactions i just think well and that is a speech that would hit differently if we also were not in the middle of a pandemic it's like dennis if it means so much to you for people to see this movie in the theaters do, like argue for pushing back the release date i on the one <sighs> hand i don't know how much control he had and on the other hand, like it came out at a time when it was when it felt safer, not not as safe as like Green Knight, but certainly not like now, you know, 
So I'm, I'm just saying like, I, even if he did not ultimately have control over how it was released, he does have control over the things that he says and making that statement in the current health environment that we're in feels petulant. I didn't take it that way. There, there were a lot of other competing factors on it, but I, I don't want to litigate it now here. We don't have to <laughs> yeah. now. Um, uh, because what we do need to get into is our honorable mentions. Um, just the, the things that didn't make the cut. We're not going to go deep into it. Just uh, Martha hit me with what you got that uh, you didn't make the cut, but you want to, you want to throw out there. Yeah. So just a couple, um, the fear street series that came out on Netflix we had Fear Street, like, 1996, 1970-something, and then 1666. Whoa, uh, they I've were never heard of this. Yeah, they were, <laughs> released, they were released over three subsequent Fridays on Netflix and were, like, told one whole arc in three different stories uh, based loosely on the Fear Street books by R.L. Stein. Okay. I thought Fear Street sounded um, familiar. Yeah, but they were super fun. They were very fun teen horror, but also just the experience of that staggered release made them kind of an event in a way that I miss. Mm -hmm. So like I got to talk about them as they came out and as we like learned more of the story. So in the first one that takes place in the 90s, you have a couple of teens who accidentally disturb this witch who... Um, has been cursing the town for hundreds of years and then she comes back and all of these like serial killers that may be connected to her or whatever like come to life and start hunting these teens in part two they talk to one of the only survivors from one of these serial incidents serial killer incidents who flashes back to when she was at camp in the 1970s mm. and then the final chapter is about the actual witch herself and like what happened to her and then how the teens solve the problem of this witch and all of these killers in sure. the town. Sure. Um, but no, it was super fun. It was very enjoyable. I really loved like talking to people about it and the excitement that built over the progressive. This is why I really love episodic release television. Like it, at the end of the day, even though I will binge watch stuff, I'm not naturally a binger. I like the anticipation. Mm -hmm. I like, having time to chew on stuff and like think about theories and talk about it with people. Um, you, you like the thought, social aspect that, that can't really last during a binge. Exactly. And this, I thought was a really interesting experiment for Netflix. I hope they do it again. I hope they find some way to kind of repeat that, um, that format. Mm -hmm. uh, I also have in the Heights, oh, which yeah. was the first movie that I saw back in theaters. Um, at the beginning of the summer, the, the first new, the first new release, the first uh, new release. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, but no colorful music's great. Super fun. I love a big budget musical. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong. That came the out in 2021. Yes, it did. Oh my God. That, oh, that year was forever long. So that was the first like HBO max. I would have seen this in the theater if I could have yeah. release of this year for me. Yeah. Um, I love these movies. I love, I think that they're great. Um, the two, all of the Godzilla movies back to the 2014, uh, like the, the revamped universe. I think they've been awesome. They're way more fun and than they have any right to be. 
<laughs> like, well, I mean, you say that like the Godzilla and Kong movies like historically haven't been super fun. And except for that one with Matthew Broderick, they're all good. The 70s King Kong isn't great. Mm, false. I actually <laughs> like that one more than I like the Peter Jackson King Kong, mm, which is fair, kind of a which, slog. Yeah, Peter Jackson's one is three hours long because peter jackson it's peter jackson yeah. yeah uh but yes that movie slapped um and then also very specifically episode five of falcon and the winter soldier which was not a great show ultimately but the fifth episode is when uh sam and bucky help build a boat i was, I was wondering if that was when they fixed the boat episode <laughs> it, it is and that was the that was the episode when i realized that all i want from marvel from now on is domestic <laughs> domestic sitcom situations speaking of it's interesting that neither of us have uh the the big marvel tv shows um that i I think that's loki and i guess hawkeye loki and uh wandavision in addition to falcon soldier um if i was going to put one of them on here it would have been loki hmm. because i think i think loki was the highest concept best executed I might Hawkeye, have... Hawkeye, I thought was the most consistently entertaining. Yeah, I think it swings. It 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 does not have as big of swings, but it doesn't need them. Hawkeye was fun, uh, and yes. had uh, you know uh, Steinfeld in it, so that's all you need. Although I have many issues with the last episode, which we could talk about <laughs> off air. Um, but other than that, like Wandavision had a really interesting con- concept. And just utterly whiffed the ending. Mm-hmm. I also get kind of mad when I think about how it handled, like, I think it makes an attempt to handle trauma and PTSD in a certain way. But I also have issues with how that kind of falls out in the end. Sure. Well, because at the end, it becomes like a CGI, you know, like witch fight, which is the least interesting way for that to end. And yeah, I, I don't agree with how off the hook wanda gets for the trauma that she ultimately causes other people sure sure i i would have liked that concept to be explored a little bit more um and then captain or falcon and the winter soldier i wanted so much more than what we got i was very disappointed (laughs) with falcon soldier Um, and part of it part of it as my husband will be the first to remind me is that we are missing at least like one full episode because of the pandemic worth of material. Yeah. That they were not able to film. So like, it's not what we were supposed to get, but in that case, I'm kind of like, again, why did you release it? Um, even why did you release an incomplete product? Yeah. And, and even with that, like asterisks there, all the politics, could have been interesting and well executed and instead was just very whiplashy and I was frustrated uh from the first episode with how how that was all being handled um so yeah 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 what what are your uh honorable mentions yeah i've got a few more honorable mentions i'll go through them pretty quickly we've talked about many of these already um in terms of movies uh i had the beatles get back uh peter jackson's uh speaking of peter jackson long slogs <laughs> um uh this was his beatles uh documentary um as a known beatles fan i loved it but also i could not by rights put it on my list because 
you know, it, it was eight and a half hours and it did not need to be. Um, I also have Benedetta on my list. Paul Verhoeven's uh, nun movie. Uh, it's really incredible. The, the craziest thing about it is that Paul Verhoeven is like an acclaimed historical Jesus scholar on top of everything else. So uh, when Jesus shows up and cuts the head off a snake in one of her visions um, in the movie, it's like doubly wild. Uh, but it's a really well-made movie, and I'd highly recommend it. Um, in terms of books, I have The Premonition, a pandemic story by Michael Lewis, looking at sort of the 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 initial botched handling of COVID. Really a big indictment of the CDC and um, sort of the institutions writ large, both American and global, that were supposed to be be ready for pandemics, and then just fully were not. Um, Michael Lewis is an amazing writer about situations like this, and, uh, The Premonition is, is a good one, if a bit, you know, enraging and hard to stomach at times because of what it's about. Um, for graphic novels, I've got Once in Future by, uh, Kieran Gillen, uh, illustrated by, uh, art by Dan Mora and colors by Tamara Bon, uh, Bond villain? Uh, Tamara Bond, <laughs> Tamara Bond villain. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, we've talked about this before. It is a modern King Arthur uh, sort of thing, but so much more than that because it's Kieran Gillen. Um, go check it out. Uh, for TV, I've got Mayor of Easttown, which we've talked about, and I also have Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted Lasso season one, everyone loved it. Uh, season two, which came out this year, people were a little cooler on, and I have to agree with that assessment. Um, I liked a lot of season two of Ted Lasso, but it just, it also made choices that I was very frustrated with, uh, in terms of certain characters, um, and for all the growth that it had for its characters, uh, I think much needed growth in some cases, um, it, it didn't have that same, like, warm and fuzzy like it was still absolutely warm and fuzzy uh but it started getting a little more real maybe um which which is good drama and good storytelling uh but you know wasn't exactly what i was looking for uh there was also a random christmas episode which would have been great if it was one of those like if it was like a bbc show that has its annual christmas special like doctor who or whatever uh but it was just like episode five of a 12 episode series and it felt very weird and out of place uh especially watching it in like october um so so that's my my take on ted lasso season two um still very fun and enjoyable though uh and for music i have the war on drugs album i don't live here anymore uh every war on drugs song sounds the same but it's a good song sound and i don't live here anymore is a great uh third album of theirs uh, i think it's their third album um so if you like the war on drugs uh, the band, not the governmental policy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't live here anymore is more of what you love. Uh, and if you don't love it, then it's not bringing anything new that will change your mind on it. Uh, they're, they're sort of like classic rock uh, dudes, you know, uh, lowercase C classic, uh, not capital C classic rock. Um, yeah, there we go. That that was my honorable mentions list. Great. Cool. What are we talking about next week? Yeah, next week, uh, I don't think we actually finalized the title of this. Um, but we're, we're going to be talking about author inserts, dot, 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 literally. 
Uh, we're going to be looking at, we're watching two movies and reading a book. Um, we're watching The Mouth of Madness, a horror movie by John Carpenter. We're watching Stranger Than Fiction, a movie by Mark Forster. And we are reading The Never-Ending Story by Michael Endy. I hope it's pronounced Endy. Um, and probably translated because it's originally written in German. Um, and yeah, we're... That would we're, be correct, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you if you speak German and you want to read it in the original German, more power to you. Uh, we're not. Um, we're going to be looking at, at... These are all stories where authors are able to reshape the world in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so we're sort of going to be exploring that trope and looking at these fun examples. All right, and that's going to come out in two weeks. Meanwhile, you can follow us on any podcatcher. Please rate and review us as usual. Uh, that's how the algorithm gremlins bump us up higher on the lists. And as always, one of your homeworks is to tell other people about the show. You can email the show at show at homeworkpodcast.com, and you can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework, um, or by deleting your Facebook and never going there again. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DYDYHpodcast. Um, drop us a line. Uh, yeah. Martha, where can people find you, and what else are you plugging? I. Uh People can find me at all the places at Magical Martha, including tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, where I sometimes write a newsletter uh, whenever I feel like it. The last issue that I wrote was about all of the holiday movies that I watched in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, not quite one a day, but pretty close. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd if you want to see how I rate these movies that we watch. Um, I also do another podcast that updates on this same feed called Love Ya that I record with Pete's wife, Marin, where we watch either a romantic comedy or a t piece of teen cinema. Um, our last episode was the Netflix original A Castle for Christmas, and our next episode will be the Amazon Prime streaming original Summer of 03. Hmm. Interesting. I don't think I'm not sure if Martin's watched that yet, so I guess I will brace myself. For she that. hasn't. She hasn't. We cool. uh, <laughs> we confirmed it just a few days ago. Okay, cool, oh. cool. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, you can find me on Twitter at Pico three thousand. That's P I K O three thousand, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Um, oh, the other thing I want to plug real ooh, quick. Yeah. Um, so we have a friend, Dan Carlin, who produces a lot of exciting things over on YouTube and SoundCloud under the umbrella of Stories of Our Lives, SOOL Media. Yeah. Uh, and you might want to keep an eye on his, particularly his YouTube channel, because who knows, someone might be popping up there oh, come February. Special guest appearance. Uh, special guest appearance. Um, don't want to say too much about it, but he and I have something in the works that should be available starting in mid-February. Cool. Super cool. Uh, keep keep teasing that as it gets closer and closer. For sure. Sweet. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us then. Uh, we will talk to you in two weeks. And until then, class dismissed.
and I hope I didn't forget anything.